We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Church, today is the day we celebrate the most important event in all of history. Today is the day we celebrate the reason we have any reason to celebrate anything else. Today is the day we celebrate that Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. Today is the day we celebrate that we have a hope, that we have a reason to believe that we can be saved, that we can be forgiven, that the blood has been applied to us. Today is the day that we come and we know we have a reason to declare that we shall see him. He is risen indeed, and you are here to celebrate that. And if you are, would you join me and take your Bibles and turning to the Gospel of John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14 this morning as we study together. We're opening up to a passage. Uh, following the resurrection, Jesus made many appearances, but one of the appearances I believe is absolutely essential to understanding once you have encountered the resurrection, once you believe in the resurrection, that you cannot ever go back to who you were before you understood that Jesus defeated sin and death forevermore. But we find ourselves in a passage that I love because it involves a group of people that I love. It, it involves an activity that I love, but that being said, I've gotta tell you that I believe with all of my heart, and I can say this because I am one, that the biggest liars in the world are fishermen. If you have ever fished or know people who fish, for some reason, even a person who is honest and genuine, even a child who has never been before, for some reason, you don't have to teach them how to lie about fishing. Whether it's how many they caught, how big the fish were, anything that you ask, you can bet that if embellishment is possible, that if you involve fishing with it, you are going to get it. So I'm here to tell you today that one of the reasons I love this story is that we get a fishing story, a fishing tale that isn't embellished at all. In fact, we get the exact details, we get the specific details, and we get them straight from the Apostle John himself on, as they happened on that beautiful Sea of Galilee. You may remember that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples multiple times. What you were reading about this morning as we stand in just a second is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And I want you to see how encountering a resurrected Christ teaches you that you can never, ever go back. Let's stand and discover that together. John 21, we begin in verse 1. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord, teach us today that we must come to the end of ourselves if we are to experience your restorative power. God, help us to see that sometimes in life you bring us to places, even to places of failure, so that you can do what only you can do in our life. So God, I pray today that what we know of who you are and how we have seen you work in the past, that Lord, you would allow that to inform our present and our future. And that Lord, we are so thankful that you allow us to come to you for that restoring power. We're thankful that you're risen from the grave and it is by that power that we come. So Lord, now we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please be seated? You see our big idea on the screen this morning. You must come to the end of yourself if you are going to experience God's restorative power. Now what do we mean that you've got to come to the end of yourself? At some point in life, you have got to get to the point that you aren't able enough, that you aren't smart enough, that you aren't successful enough, that you aren't wealthy enough, that you don't have it all figured out, and you've got to get there before God can work in your life. You see, when we come to thinking about what it looks like for God to work inside the life of a sinner and turn that individual into a saint, the first thing that you have to do is admit that you have problems, admit that you have sin, admit that there are issues in your life, and we jump head long into that admission when we jump into this text. It's an incredible text of Scripture because what we find is that even though Jesus has already repeatedly showed up to the disciples, He has shown Himself to them. He has made Himself known and He has met them there in Galilee. There seems to be an in-between time between the, in these 40 days when Jesus rose from the dead and when He would give them the Great Commission. And so they're in Galilee in the place where most of them were very familiar. They were on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And at this moment, Peter does what you can almost expect Peter would do. If you've read the Gospels, you know that Peter is kind of the guy who just does stuff off the cuff. He's impetuous. When you need an answer, he's not scared to blurt one out. Sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong, but he's still going to throw an answer out there. This is a guy who patience is not his virtue. How many of you today can say that patience is not your virtue? Some of you better not say that you have it because most of the people sitting on the row with you already know you don't. And that's probably evidenced by the fact that there was somebody this morning just to get you to church that was screaming, come on or we're going to be late. Right? Some of you just aren't patient people. I think Peter falls into that category. That's why he's chopping off people's ears with swords, and that's why he blurts out answers from time to time, and that's why he makes declarations that he's not going to be able to follow up on. So I don't think it's surprising that we come to this passage, and Peter's waiting around, and all of a sudden he blurts this out. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now, I want you to understand that is a 
wonderful thing to declare from time to time. Every now and then, I'm just going to tell you there is something about it that just seems to be therapeutic. Other people go and talk to counselors. I go get in a fishing boat. It is where I find rest and solace, and so I get it. Maybe it is that from a recreational standpoint, someone would say, well, I could get it. He's been through a lot. They've been through a lot. So he needs to take a load off, and he's going fishing. But that's not what we see here. Because you see, Peter wasn't going recreational fishing. He wasn't going to a pond. He wasn't going to go try fishing for the afternoon when he said, I'm going out to fish. What was it that Peter and the sons of Zebedee did before they ever met Jesus? When they were called, they were called to be fishers of what? Men. Because their job, their, what they did for a living was to fish. So when Peter says, I'm going fishing, and what we see is that nobody fights him on this, the other disciples, especially those that fish, say, well, if you're going fishing, I'm going fishing. Let's load the nets, load the boat, and let's get after it. What we see here is that Peter is actually saying, I'm going back to what I know. I'm going to back to what I know I can do. I'm going back to what I've got confidence in. I'm going back to what my family made a living doing before we ever met Jesus. I'm going back to my boat. I'm going back to the Sea of Galilee. I'm going back because even though it seems like everything's kind of fallen apart, And even though Jesus is resurrected, we know that things have fallen apart, especially for Peter. He's denied Jesus three times just in recent days. It's been a rough go of it, but there's one thing he knows he can do, and that's fish. So he loads up, he loads up the nets, and he goes out. And it says that they fished how long, church? All night long. And they caught how many? Nothing. Now let me tell you, Not only would that have been hard to do, but that's a difficult thing to admit. I'm going to tell you, I told you fishermen are liars. People ask you if you've been fishing, say, would you catch anything? Even if you caught nothing, you say, well, we caught a few, right? We we caught a few. We caught caught one or two. To say nothing. And now, now when I fish, and when most of you fish, you fish with, probably you fish with a rod and reel. That's probably what you fish for, maybe a cane pole, but you're fishing with an individual rod trying to catch individual fish at a time. That's not what's happening here. The best thing for you to think about would be like a, a shrimp trawler, if you think about like down on the coast where nets have been dropped out and they're going. So it's not that he just didn't catch any fishing with one line. He didn't even caught a fish dragging nets. This is an, a huge admission. We caught absolutely nothing, he says. Now, they had been given a choice, and that was to resume life as they had known it before or to continue in the gospel ministry. And yet, Jesus shows up on the shore and he asked a question he already knew the answer to. Did you, did you see that? Do you think Jesus knew that they hadn't caught anything? Sure he did. But he asked the question anyway. Hey, how's your fishing going? Do you know how much pride you have to swallow to say, we ain't caught nothing. Zip. Zero. We don't have anything. Professional fishermen, people that have done this for a living, they've been in the Sea of Galilee. They knew where the drop-offs were. They knew where to drop the nets. They had placed those nets where they had caught fish hundreds of not thousands of times. Now here's this guy. They don't know it's Jesus yet. They haven't recognized him. And they ask a question, how many have you caught? And they have to tell him, we've caught zero. Now, 
I want you to know something about the Lord. So many people talk about that God always wants to bring your success. Do you know that sometimes the Lord wants to allow you to fail? Do you know that sometimes God in His grace and His providence does not let you succeed at your endeavors because He knows that you would think that you did it on your own. And maybe it is that the road that you were taking wasn't the road that He's wanted you to take. How many of you know that at times in your life that the Lord has allowed failure to take place in your life because He wanted something more for you than what you wanted for yourself? And God allows the successes in our life and causes those, but you can bet that God causes the failure. Because at this point, he needed Peter and every other disciple that had fished before they met him to recognize that they would never catch another fish in their life without him. That the only reason that there were any fish even in the Sea of Galilee is because he put them there. The only reason that they'd ever have success was because of him. So they have to say, we've caught nothing. And then he gives them a command, a command that some of you are going to be familiar with because you've heard him tell them this before. You can remember the first time he was on the boat with them and they had to admit the same thing, hadn't caught anything. He said, why don't you put your nets down again for a catch? And it was at that point you remember that Peter said, I need to depart from you for I'm a sinful man because this had happened before. But in this instance, what's different is we're told at this point in the story, they don't recognize Jesus. Now, if you're a professional fisherman and there's a random guy on the shore and he's hollering at you and you don't recognize who he is and he says, oh, you hadn't caught anything? Well, put your nets on the other side. I'm just being honest. I know it's Easter and I want to be nice because you all look so beautiful and fantastic and the place is packed. So I'm going to try to be sweet on Easter. But if I professionally fished and a dude I did not know showed up on the side, asked me, and I said I'd caught nothing, but I had been doing it my whole life. He said, well, put your nets down again, but put them on the other side of the boat. I would be liable to tell him to go take a jump in the lake. Hey, forget it, man. I know what I'm doing. But I wonder why they didn't. Why did they follow the directions? And my best guess is it something in his voice? Something constrained them? Maybe it was a, a look that John gave Peter, even when they didn't recognize it yet. Maybe James and John, those two sons of thunder, kind of bumped each other on the shoulder and just kind of threw their hands up like, maybe? And so what we're told is that at that point, they dropped the nets down, and immediately there were so many fish they could barely haul the nets up. 153 fish to be exact and not just fish but what large fish did you see that and so what we see is that Jesus is teaching them what he had already told them in John 15 5 that's a verse you need to take as a note or you need to highlight because it is absolutely essential to the gospel John 15 5 apart from me you can do nothing and Jesus is showing them, you'll never catch a fish again if I don't want you to. That everything that you've ever experienced is because I have allowed it. What he wants them to see is that not that there's anything wrong with fishing and there's nothing, anything wrong with fishing as a profession, but they could not go back to their former life. They couldn't be who they were. Church, I want you to hear something this morning. I'm so glad that you're here on Easter. Most of you sang this morning and you sang out to the Lord about the power of His resurrection and we exclaimed what? Up from the grave He... 
If you really have, if you've really experienced that, if you've really seen that Christ is resurrected from the grave, then you will never go back to who you were. It's impossible because you've been changed. You've been moved from sinner to saint. You've been moved from dirty to clean. You've gone from unforgiven and hell-bound to forgiven and heaven-bound. The difference is so radical that you can't go back. Amen? But what we see is something else that I believe is jumping off the page here, and that is that our past experiences with the Lord inform how we see the present and future with the Lord. We know that they were tired. We know that they were frustrated. We know that even though this wasn't their first rodeo out on the lake, that something about the voice of Jesus had constrained them. And I wonder if maybe as they were sitting there together, exhausted, maybe it brought to mind the first time in Luke 5 that Jesus told them to let their nets down again. Or maybe it brought to mind their call to be fishers of men. Or maybe... It brought to mind when they were on that boat and they thought they all were going to die and Jesus was sleeping there in the bottom of the boat and He calmed the wind and the waves. Maybe it was Peter himself who remembered that one time, that one time when he was faithful enough to step out of the boat and by that faith be able to walk on the water towards Jesus. Or maybe it was that they remembered that time sitting on that hillside when Jesus would feed the 5,000 with just two fish. But when the nets were filled... You notice that it says that the disciple who Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself in the third person all through this gospel. It was John that immediately realized it was Jesus. And who did he tell first? He told Peter. Hey, Peter, you might have had a hunch, but you know who that is? You know who that is just about 100 yards over there? You know who told us to drop the nets? That's Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the exact details, but I want you to just imagine with me what that must have been like for Peter. Because we've already been told that the last recorded interaction that Peter and Jesus have had was recorded in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, And you'll remember that Jesus had told Peter, you are going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And we're told in Luke twenty-two sixty-one that immediately after the third denial, that when Peter looked up, he looked right into the eyes of Jesus. So I can't imagine what type of emotions were going through Peter's mind. Maybe he's scared, embarrassed, shame-filled, guilty, everything that you could have imagined. But I believe also by what we see in his response, he was also incredibly hopeful. Because the first time that Jesus had given them a miraculous catch of fish, Peter had a far different response. He said, depart from me. I can't be around you. I'm a sinful man. He saw the holiness of God. But this time he does something and he does something totally different. Instead of wanting to be away from Jesus, he is the first one. He can't even wait for the boat to dock. We're already told the boat's not far. It's 100 yards. It wasn't going to take long. But Peter refuses to wait. You guys bring in the boat. I got to see him and I got to see him now. But he does one of the oddest things that we read about in Scripture. And most of you know this because most of you have gone swimming at some point in your life. There are none of you that when you have gone swimming have put your clothes on. This is an odd passage of Scripture. 
Peter has taken off his outer garment, so he'd have just basically had a loincloth on. They were working hard. It was night. That's what he had on, toiling. And we're told that once he knew it was Jesus, he did the opposite of what everyone in here would have done when you jumped off the boat. He put his clothes on. That's just a detail I couldn't leave alone. Why would you do that? I know that you do some impetuous things and you've done some rash things, but nobody puts on their clothes to jump off of a boat. So why? I don't think the answer is all that complicated. And most times in Scripture, I think the easy answer is probably the right answer. Most of the time. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, do you remember after Adam and Eve had sinned and disobeyed the Lord, what was the first thing that they did? They made coverings for themselves because they were in shame and they did not want to be before the Lord naked. I think exactly what you're reading here is that Peter understands that if he is going to go before the Lord Jesus, he wants to be covered. He wants his guilt covered. He wants his shame covered. And so he places all of his clothes on and he dives in before the Lord. And this time, when it seems like that Peter might have been the first one to want to run from Jesus because of what he known he had done. This time, he comes before the Lord and he comes before Him because he knows that things need to be made right. I can't leave things like this. And I'm so glad this event is recorded and the one that follows it in John 21. John refused to leave it. He said, you've got to know how that story ended. But I want some of you to hear that on Easter. Because some of you are here today and your response to Jesus has been the mistakes you've made, the problems you've had, the relationships you've been in, the addictions that you've fought, all the things that you have been through. Leave us somehow believing, and I believe this is of the devil and of the flesh, that you are so far gone from the Lord, that you are so far removed from the Lord, that you are so sin-stained that His grace is somehow maybe sufficient for other people, but it's not sufficient for you. Peter had just denied the Lord three times and yet the one thing he knew he had to do is I got to get to him before anybody else gets to him because he has what I need he has grace and he has power and I've got to go see my Jesus and friends some of you have fallen into some wicked sin sick ways but instead of running from Jesus on Easter it ought to be that you're running to Jesus on Easter because the same Jesus who would restore Peter is the one who wants to look at you and say lift up your head and look at me my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. But as Peter gets ashore, there's something that I think John places here significantly because John had also talked about this just a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 18. It is not accidental that Jesus has built a fire. And it's not accidental that we're told about the coals. Because the last time we are told that Peter was standing before a charcoal fire was in John 18 when the servant girl walked up to him and we are told that he was warming himself by a charcoal fire. Now we find him before another fire of coals, yet in standing, instead of standing before the servant girl, he is standing before the very Savior that he denied three times on that night. How many of you know, 
Because some of you are going to experience it in just a few moments. You're going to do it. You're going to have this experience today. Many of you are going to your mom's house or your grandmother's house or wherever it is, and you're going to have Easter lunch. And right when you walk in, most of you already know some of the food that is going to be prepared, don't you? Some of you already know exactly what we're going to have because it's tradition, and you're going to walk in, and it's going to have that smell, whether it's the smell of dressing or whether it's the, 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 the smell of baked ham cooking or apple pie or whatever it is, and those scents automatically bring from your olfactory nerves into your brain, and you know how smells affect us. They bring us back to places. And I can't imagine that Peter's standing on that beach and he smells that charcoal burning one more time. And maybe it is that he remembers, I remember the last time I stood by a fire like this and smelled this charcoal. And yet, Jesus says, I want you to come and I want you to come close. Because what I want you to know is that you can't go back. It's not an accident that we are told that Peter denied Jesus three times. And we're also told in this passage that this is the third time that he had appeared before the disciples and especially to Peter. What he wants Peter to know is that there is restoration that is possible. There's restoration for Peter and there's restoration for people like you and people like me. But there's a last very interesting detail in this passage that I don't want you to miss. What did it say that Jesus was doing while they were in the boat? Jesus not only had a fire going, but what was he doing? We're told that he was cooking for them. He was cooking breakfast. And what was he cooking? Fish. Jesus already had fish. He didn't need their fish. He didn't need 153. He didn't need large ones. He already had their fish. Yet he tells them to do what? Bring some of the fish that you have caught over. Why would Jesus do that? First and foremost, I want to make it clear. You have absolutely nothing that God needs. You have absolutely nothing that the Lord Jesus can't live without. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every fish in the Sea of Galilee. He controls the winds and the waves. He commands the demons. But yet, he tells them, I want you to bring some of your fish. Why? Because what the Lord demands of our life is that we come to Him and give Him who we are because it is required and it is valued. When He tells them to bring their fish, He is helping them to understand, even though I already had them, even though I already owned them, and even though I'm already cooking them, I want you to come to me and I want you to bring what you've got. Friends, there are too many people that have convinced themselves that they are unusable before the Lord. There are too many people that have convinced themselves that God can't use you, that can't use your gifts, can't use your abilities. And what I want you to know and what I'm thankful of is God doesn't need me at all. But thank God He allows me to bring my fish before Him. He allows me to bring my gifts. He allows me to bring my talents. He allows me to bring my abilities. And somehow, somehow change and use them for His glory. What we see in this passage is something quite beautiful. And that is that at this fire, the disciples would come to the understanding that they would never, ever be able to go back to who they were before. I don't know how many of you in here have truly encountered the power of the resurrection. I don't mean that you believe in Jesus. I don't even mean that you believe he died on the cross, and I don't even mean that you believe that he died, rose from the grave. 
I mean that personally, your life has been affected because you truly have placed your trust and hope and faith in a resurrected Christ. If you have done that, your life cannot be the same. It will never be the same. Your eternity is forever affected. But what I want you to know today is one of the great tragedies of Easter Sunday morning is that there will be people that gather in houses of worship, both this one and ones all across the country, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And you can celebrate the resurrection of Christ without ever having been captivated by the resurrection of Christ. You can get dressed up in your Sunday finest and buy new clothes and come to the house of God and somehow miss that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean that he wants you to tip your cap to him because he defeated death. It means that he wants you to bow before him on the very beaches of your life and bring everything that you have because you recognize that you can't do it without him. That you are hopeless. That you are sinful. And that you you stand there before Peter, guilt like Peter, guilty as charged. We are people who have denied the Lord and sinned against His face, so the only reason that we can stand before Him is because of His grace. And so we stand as Peter did, looking up, and finally He looks towards you, child, and He takes your chin and lifts it up, and He tells you, my grace is sufficient for thee. But you've got to run, not walk to the restorative power of Jesus. And some of you today need to come to the end of your Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.